Alrighty, y'all can turn in your Bibles. Thank you, Wendy. Y'all can turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week, you will remember, we kind of took a, a wee bit of a parenthesis and we kind of finished up talking about a lot of the spiritual gifts and how those sp spiritual gifts are broken down. In particular, we talked about eight spiritual gifts, uh, breaking those down into two different groups, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And uh, we're going to continue this morning uh, in chapter 12. Uh, and we'll tidy things up this morning, God willing. As we get ready to get there, though, uh, I forgot uh, this morning also one of the things that we're doing. Uh, our church is 100 years old uh, this year, and we're celebrating 100 years. I think it'll be November the 3rd is when we're actually doing that, November 2nd and 3rd. Uh, but one of the things that we've been doing is we've had 100 days of prayer. And each week we're praying in a different area and asking God to, to really do something. Uh, and this week what we're praying for, and we're asking all of you to pray along these lines, that you would pray that Jesus Christ, God, would be the one to grow the church. Right? I mean, it's real easy for us to try and get out and recruit and do all sorts of things. And usually what happens is we end up falling flat on our face. But when we rely upon the one who says that he would build the church, and we cry out to him and say, Lord, you build your church, you bring in. And it's so timely when we talk about spiritual gifts because God is the one who brings each and every individual in like a part of a puzzle and places them exactly where they need to be. Uh, so let's just pause and pray. We'll pray for that right now. Ask you to be praying about that through the week. And then also we'll pray that God opens our hearts to the message uh, from the word this morning. So let's go to him right now. Father, you are an awesome and holy, righteous God. God, your word declares that there is none like you. Father, your word declares that your arm is not so short that it can't reach out and touch the needs of your people. And Father, we cry out to you today. Lord, we would pray that you would be the one who builds your church. God, we pray that you would be the one who gathers those in, not only here at Westside, but across this community, God, that you would just really uh, be gracious uh, to speak to the hearts of men and women. God, to, even as we're studying in the scripture, knowing that there is a day coming, and the day you will say enough, and that you will return. So we pray, God, that while there is time, that we would be like Noah, that we would be preaching the gospel, even as Tom led us this morning in, in that choir special, God, to preach, to preach the word. And so, Father, we rely upon you, your spirit this morning, to take your word, quicken it to our hearts, and that we will walk away a changed people. And we ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're back at. Uh, we're going to try and finish up chapter 12 this week and then get into uh, one of the greatest probably messages on love in chapter 13. It will be there for several weeks itself. But our sermon title this morning really kind of sets the stage for uh, today's message. And the title of the message today is Diversity is the Key to Unity right? Diversity is the key to unity. If you look around right now, you would find that there's quite a little bit of diversity. I would even like to see more diversity within the body of Christ. But in particular, what we're talking about this morning is the diversity of spiritual gifts, the variation of spiritual gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. And when those gifts are deployed within the body of Christ, what it does, it really fosters or sets up an environment for unity. 
Now, I will say this, and I've said it many times before, but unity is something that Christ has already given the church. It's up to us to maintain that unity, right? It's, it's already given to us. We just simply need to maintain that. And one of the ways that we maintain that unity is by everybody doing what God has called them to do. And that we have learned so far that every single follower of Jesus Christ has been gifted with at least one spiritual gift. Amen? So we just keep that in mind. All the parts of the body working in harmony to perform the task of edifying one another and glorifying God. Well, the opposite to unity is division. Therefore, what we can discover this morning is that we want to promote unity, and the way that we can promote unity is promoting diversity, dependency, distinctiveness, and a right desire. Now, I'll go back and cover those, right? But we want to promote the, uh, excuse me, diversity, dependency, distinctiveness, and the right desire. And when we do that, it really brings harmony in the body of Christ. So let's look at verses 12 and 14 out of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And this is where we're going to find diversity promotes unity. Verse 12, it says, For as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, or have been, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. All right, now you're going to see something there that uh, there's a, a key theme that runs through just those few verses, and it is one, that he is making us one. And so when we talk about diversity, you're saying, well, we're talking about one here, but diversity really will promote us being one people. And what we see out of those few verses there is this, there is one body just as there is one Christ. That, that's what he says in verse 12. He says, for the body is one, and then down in verse, uh, you know, he goes further, and he says that it has many members but one body. And he talks about Christ being one body. When we know that Jesus Christ walked on the face of this earth, right? The incarnate God walking on the earth. He was only able to be one place at one time. But now through the body of Christ, through the church, he is here in this earth. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you and I are the representation because we are the body of Christ. So we are the ones who represent Jesus Christ in this world. Not just represent, we are the body of Christ in this world. And, and Paul wants to do really drive that point home to the, the church at Corinth, and it, it needs to be driven home for us as a people here today as God's people that we are the body of Christ and we are one in Christ. That's important. It's important for them because there were kind of some schisms and divisions within the body there, and Paul was trying to get across and saying, no, listen, we're part of the body. And that is the body of Jesus Christ. We should be careful how we treat one another, therefore. Because if we really understand that we're the body of Christ, we understand that how we treat one another is how we treat Christ. Does that make sense? So if we're not treating each other as God's people in a dignified manner, in an honoring manner, then what we're really doing is we're dishonoring 
Jesus Christ. Because we're the body. We're that representation of him on the earth today. He goes on to say that there are many members, but one body. When the body functions in a proper manner using all of its members, it moves in a very fluid and harmonious manner. I love watching athletes. I got a couple of guys that, that uh, I've met. Uh, they're a fr they're friend with a friend of mine, and, and they, they do jujitsu. So if any of you get out of control, I'm just going to have them sit. I'm going to sick them on you, right? And they'll be, they'll be throwing a, you know, an arm lock on you or something like that. But when you, when you watch an athlete and you watch how fluid they are in their movements, that's the idea that Paul is trying to get across with the body being one. When the body is working as it should, it moves in a very fluid and harmonious manner, always complementing the rest of the body as it does that. Does that make sense? And that is what spiritual gifts do. And keep in mind, this is what the chapter is about. It's about spiritual gifts. So when we are using the gifts that God has given us, what it allows us to do is to have a very fluid and a harmonious nature to us that complements the rest of the body in what we're doing. So that is what Paul is trying to get across. That is what the scripture wants to get across to us. Many members, but one body. Once again, the Scripture and the Holy Spirit are emphasizing that we are not all the same and that diversity is actually God's plan for unity. I am so glad that we are not all the same, right? I, I'm really, I, I'm glad that we look around and, and our personalities are different. The way we look is different, right? Uh, I mean, you've, you've got an old gray-haired guy up here preaching to you. You've got young people. You've got old people. Uh, I, again, I'd like to see more diversity in, in a sense of color within our congregation. I would like to see that as well. But more important than that, than all of that, is to see people using their gifts the way God intends them to use to build up the body of Christ and to edify one another. That's the goal that Paul had for the church of Corinth, and that is the goal that God has for the people of Westside Baptist Church. He goes on to say that there is one spirit. In verse 13, he says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we have all been made to drink unto one spirit. Now I'm going to just get ready. Go ahead and unpack your bags. We're going to stay here for a little bit, right? We're going to camp around this verse for a while because this is important. This is a very important verse for us to understand. He says here that we are baptized into one body. And I need to clarify what this means. You may have heard that you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I want to break that down. Again, because there is misunderstanding concerning this verse. But we need to understand that we are baptized into the body. And I would ask this morning that when it comes to looking at this verse, we see what it means in context. And to do that, what I need you to do is to turn back over to Luke chapter 3. Right? Because this is... The, Paul saying, hey, Jesus Christ is the one who's going to be doing the baptizing. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we get that and where Paul, and where Paul is referencing 
is back to the Gospels in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16 and verse 17. Now, it says in Luke 3, 16, it says, John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water. Now take note, with. As a matter of fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you can circle it, underline it, or just make note of it. He says, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with, you can circle it, underline it, with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now then, let's break that down and talk about that because that's where a lot of the miscommunication comes from when we look at this. Let me put a marker here. So, when we're looking at this, first we see that Jesus is the one who is doing the baptizing. Right? So, we need to see Christ is the one. When we talk about it back in our text in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that we are baptized by one spirit. It is Jesus Christ who is doing the baptizing here. And what we mean by that is when we are baptized, we are baptized, we are immersed into the body of Christ. You remember the word baptized means to be immersed, right? It means to be put under, uh, to completely covered. And so when we talk about us being baptized by the Spirit, and again, go back to 13, for by one spirit are we baptized, what? Into the body. So the Holy Spirit is the agent by which we are baptized with. Go back to Luke, and John says, I indeed baptize you, what? With water. But the one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the idea, John was submerging or immersing them in water, the baptism of repentance, Christ is immersing us into the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Or is this clear as mud? All right? If it makes sense, give me a north-south. Right? If it doesn't make sense, east-west, and if you're not sure, just rotate your head all the way around. Right? But the idea here is just understand we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit. And again, we hear baptized with the Holy Ghost. What that means simply is that you are baptized by Christ through the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's what it means. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay? So when we, we look at this and, and we recognize that it's Christ who is the one who is doing it. So Christ immerses us into his body. Christ also says, let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 3. He says that he also baptizes with fire. Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's start there again. And he says, And John answered, saying unto them, I, them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh to latch it, whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, when I, when I got saved, that, that I, I didn't understand. And I was told, man, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I'm thinking, right on. I mean, whatever. I, I mean, bring it on. You know, I'll take it. I, I was just hungry, man. I, I was, you know, I told you, I was that guy that... that you know, when I, came in, when I came into the church, everybody wondered who had been burning rope, right? Because I usually, usually smoked a fat one coming in. 
And, and people would say, you know, I'm the only guy, I'm in a little country church smaller than this, and I got hair down to here, right? And, and everybody, when the preacher's preaching, somebody in here needs to get saved. And they're all looking around, and they're looking at me, and I'm looking around at them going, who is it? You know? I, I'm all for that. Yeah, he needs to be saved. I don't know what from, but he needs to be saved. So I, I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know what the Bible said. But so they said, when, with fire, and I'm thinking, yeah, bring it on. But let me tell you what fire means according in context with the Scripture. And later on, I had to change my view, and I had to change my philosophy, and I had to change my theology and my doctrine once I understood the rule of context. And here's what context says. Look at verse 17. Oh, go back to my Scripture. Yeah, here we go. Luke 17, uh, 3, 17. He says, with fire, verse 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You know what he's talking about there? Judgment. So, so when you hear somebody say, you know, Lord, bring down the fire on this place, you're not going to hear this preacher say that. I don't want his judgment coming down. I want his mercy coming down. I want his grace coming down. Judgment's coming. But here's what we can gather out of this, folks. Jesus Christ is going to baptize, and he is going to baptize in one of two ways. He is either going to baptize you into the body of Christ, or he is going to baptize you in the judgment with an unquenchable fire. It's not in between. It's one of the two. You're either saved or you're not. You're either bound for heaven or you're not. You're either redeemed or you're not. It's one of the two. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts, when somebody says, you know, I I've been in the church all of my life, Pastor, and I have never understood or never even known or never figured out what my spiritual gift is. Can I just say something to you? Maybe you need to really be baptized into the body of Christ. Maybe you've never been put in the body of Christ. You see, you can know all about Jesus. You can be in love with the ideas of church. But until he puts you in the body, you're not part of the body. You need to be baptized you need to be immersed into the body of Christ. That is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Just as the Holy Spirit is the agent of putting us into the body, fire is the agent, our agent that will bring us into judgment. Then he goes on to say back in our text in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians he says in verse 13 also that we have all been made to drink of one spirit. When you receive Christ, listen to me, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's it. If you don't receive the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. Well, hold your ribbon there and turn back, take a left-hand turn and go back to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 
verse 9, he says, But you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you be that of the Spirit of God, dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So what I'm saying is, when you get, don't, don't be confused by, you know, saying, well, now that you're saved, now you need the Holy Spirit. No, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. You get all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. The question is, is how much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you? Right? Because that's the issue. If, we, if, if we've got all of him, the question comes down to, does he have all of us? You see, there's, there is one baptism. There are many fillings. The filling of the Holy Spirit can be defined this morning just by, if we were to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, and he says this, Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, he says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. In other words, don't be under the influence of alcohol, he says, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in context, what he's talking about there is saying, listen, what you need to do is just like alcohol would control you. If, if you go out, right, and, and if you were to, to, to go out and get polluted, and you're driving down the road, and, and here comes the popo behind you with the blue lights on, he pulls you over, and, and you end up blowing whatever it is to, you know, that you're determined under the influence. And Paul's saying, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Rather, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says that that is what it is to be filled with the Spirit, is to be controlled by the Spirit. You, know what, you want to know how you can tell somebody who is a controlled by the Spirit of God? You want to know somebody who is filled with the Spirit of God? I'll tell you, it's when you look at Galatians chapter 5, and starting with around verse 22, and you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. That's a, that's a Spirit-filled person. That is a person who is being controlled by the Spirit of God. We're going to get into, say, and even toward the end of this, you may have heard, filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and we'll get into some rhetorical questions that Paul asks that shows that that is not the case. And again, I approach you from a person who's been there and done that. Don't say it in a demeaning way or a making fun of way, but sometimes we just got to either trust our experience or trust the Word of God. And I had to come to the point that I better trust the Word of God over my experience. Because my experience was not matching up with what God's Word said. So, we are made to drink of one spirit. He says that that is where we are trusting in the Lord. And we're believing that when we have been baptized, we have all of the spirit that we are ever going to get. Second, dependency. Second point, dependency promotes unity. Dependency promotes unity. Look at verse 14, and we're going to read several verses here. And you say, well, Pastor, why, why do we need to read the verses? Just tell us what it says. Well, here's why we read the verses. Because Paul told Timothy this, don't neglect the reading of Scripture, right? Uh, and, and I'm just silly enough to believe, you know, the uh, problem is, you, fixing to get off on a rabbit trail, maybe. So the problem is with Baptist, right? Baptists, sometimes we're so afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit and the supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit, man, we'll get way off in a corner over here and act like, that. hey, listen, there's nothing supernatural that takes place, right? 
On the other hand, you've got a group over here that, that every single thing, a leaf falls from the sky and it's like, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? He's trying to tell you it's hot and the leaves are dying. That's what he's trying to tell you there. What we need to do is we need to find ourselves in the middle somewhere and just look at what the scripture says, accepting the fact that God does supernatural things. And I'm just silly enough to believe at the scriptures when we read them, God is taking his word and by his spirit, he's doing something in our lives and our heart. I don't want to serve a dull God. I want to serve a supernatural God. Right? All right. Everybody cool? All right. Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Here we go. Still talking to many members in the body. If the foot say, shall say, because I am not the hand, I am, a, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Question. And verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were the eye, where is the hearing? And if the whole were the hearing, where is the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. That's a great thing to underline right there. God's the one that puts you in the body the way it pleases him. Verse 19, and they were all one member. Where were the body? In other words, if, if just one member, where, where's the body at? But now are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Let's just stop right there and then we'll talk about some things. Dependency promotes unity within the body. When we read the scripture, we just kind of see a couple of things. Dependency recognizes contribution and distinctiveness. You, you, just see the, you can almost see the, the satire is dripping off of the pen as, and the sarcasm almost as, as Paul writes this. And because he's writing and he, and he just starts out, let's go back again to verse 15. He says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, am I not part of the body? It is this understanding that dependency is necessary. And when people start to say, listen, either way it goes, I just want you to have this in mind when we talk about this. It is an issue of pride on both instances. So the foot, because he says, I'm just the poor, lowly foot. I'm not like the hand. Oh, man, the hand, you know the hand. The hand gets all the action, man. He's the guy shaking everybody. You know, he's around. He's touching. He's grabbing hands. He's patting. He's, he's doing all it. Just look at Mr. Hand. But me, just poor old foot. And I'm not part of the body. And Paul says, how ridiculous is that? That's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. You're part of the body because part, it takes the foot to, get, to go somewhere to get the hand to do what the hand needs to do. And so when we understand that, that a dependency upon one another is really promoting unity, it's understanding that every single part of the body is distinct and has purpose in it. Every single part. We've talked about that, you know. Isn't it amazing that 
we can take this hand and move it, and my brain is telling it to do that, I'm not having to think about that. If I'm having to think about making a move, you know, like, and, and not be able to talk to you all at the same time, y'all probably got a problem with your pastor. Right? The idea is, though, is the body is distinct, and every part counts. And when that part begins to take the attitude and saying, oh, woe is me, can I tell you what, if somebody says, well, I'm not in the highlight, I'm not the guy that's out front, I'm not the gal that's out front, that's an issue of pride. And if the person who's out front all the time is saying, hey, well, look at me, I'm the guy that's always out front, that is an issue of pride as well. And, and we'll cover why that is. So as we walk through this and see it, it recognizes contribution and distinctiveness. Dependency recognizes that there is no room for envy or jealousy. Amen. Man, you don't, you don't need to be envious of me, and I don't need to be envious of you. I don't need to be jealous of you. I, you know, I used to tell the guys on my team that, and as a matter of fact, one of my little slogans was, surround yourself with strong people. And, and I recognize that I can't do everything. If you hang around me long enough, you know, you will figure that out, that Jim Jones has plenty of chinks in the armor. And, and if you're not sure, go and ask my wife. She can give you a list. But that's part of God's plan. Because where I'm lacking, God brings other parts together to fill the void. And to fill the gap. You see, that helps promote unity because I realize I can't do it by myself. And you need to recognize you can't do it by yourself. But you also need to recognize this. That you also have the responsibility to do what God has called you to do. That is what he's talking about when he says this, this hand is... Is, or the foot saying, I'm not the hand, so I'm not part of the body. And the ear saying, well, I'm not the eye, so uh, I'm not part of the body. And, and these are rhetorical questions. He says, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous to think that way. Not, can, I, can I go so far as to say this? It's not ridiculous. It's sinful to think that way. Dependency recognizes God's placement and pleasure of assignment. We look back at that, look at the verse 18. He says, but now, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. What does that tell us? It tells us this. You don't get to pick and choose what gifts you have. Right? That's it. You know, we don't do that. God says, I'm the one who does it. As a matter of fact, if, if we look a little further, let me see if I can find it here. Um, he uses a word, tempered. And, and the idea, as you read back through the scripture, I don't have time to look at right now, but that word tempered, it, it's really of an artist. And, and what it means is the artist would take paints and he would mix the paint together to get the desired color that would bring out the best of the painting that he is doing. And it says, God has tempered the members. 
He mixes together the body of Christ to be able to paint the picture that brings out the most beauty. And so he takes you and he mixes you in the body as he desires to have the greatest picture of the church available. Isn't that an awesome thought? But when we recognize that, that this dependency promotes unity and that in the same way it is dependent upon God as well. It is dependent upon where God places you. It is dependent upon the power that he enables you with. You remember that one of the things we learned is that it is God who energizes us in our gifting, right? And, and he does that in different ways with different people. Over, I've told you over and over that, that there is no way in the world if you were to look back in my youth and that I would ever be in front of people talking, I would have been the last person you would have thought would be in front of people speaking. I mean, I would pass out. I would have a panic attack if I thought I had to get in front of somebody and say something. And, and Ann knows even now, you know, that, that I can come across sometimes. If you ever catch me when, when I've used all my social skills up, just forgive me, right? Uh, because I, I've got a limit on my social skills. I, I'm, I'm not naturally an extrovert. I am naturally an introvert. As a matter of fact, I took a psychological test one time, and, and uh, the, you know, the guys that wear the white coats brought me back in and, and wanted to talk to me and said, you know you score off the charts for being an, an introvert. And I said, well, I, I don't, yeah, I guess, you know. And he said, how, how, do you, how do you do your job as a team sergeant? By, by talking to people. And uh, I said, I make myself. Well, I would say it a different way in this way, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Christ energizes me, right? But, but I remember telling Ann one time, we were driving somewhere, and I'd been busy all day, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know right now, I've used up all of my social skills, 15 minutes, we're out of here. Right? My point, <laughs> my point is this, is that the Spirit energizes us for the job that He's given us to do. If we try to do it in and of ourselves, it ain't going to happen, folks. It's just not going to happen. Now, I would ask for questions, but I'm not going to do that. You might ask me, how long is a piece of string? You might ask me, what's a dirt road look like at night? I don't know. So we're going to stick to the text, okay? All right, dependency. Finish with that, let's move on to desire. Desire promotes unity. Well, desire for what? What are you talking about desiring? We have to desire the right things. And when we get down to verse 27, let's drop all the way down to verse 27 of chapter 12, and we'll find that desire. It says, now, he says, um, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And then he goes on to say, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now that's a sermon in and of itself, all right? We're not going to do a whole sermon on it, but we're going to talk about those things. When you look at verse 27, desire promotes unity. First thing I want you to see about verse 27 is you are not like the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. 
That, that's important to recognize. You are the body of Christ. Not like it, you are. And, and that means that we have a responsibility in this world to, to represent that body, uh, to, to have it out in the world. But he goes on to say that there's a corporate and a cooperation with God's plan for the body. Verses 28 through 30. And, and this is important. Let me spend a little bit of time here. This is very important to understand, okay? And because he says in, in verse 28, And God hath set some in the church. Now note, he says, first apostles, right? And, and then he goes on to say after that, secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers. Now you'll note that after he finishes First, secondarily, and thirdly, then it stops, and then he says, and then after that, miracles, and he goes on and lists all the other gifts. Now, this is not listing them numerically. That's what's important to understand here. This is not a numerical listing, okay? You got one, you got you know, apostles, two, you got prophets, and three, you got, uh, uh, you know, teaching. No, it's, it's a hierarchy. Grab that. You know what a hierarchy is, right? So, most important, he says, first thing, the most important thing here, that when it comes to spiritual gifts, the most important is this, apostles. Second, most important thing, prophets. Third, most important thing, teaching. Okay? Now, let me just even make this more simple for us. The first two are gone. Because it says, on the foundation of the church, the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets was built. Once, Paul says, once the foundation is built, you don't rebuild the foundation to you. So what are we doing now? We're building on the foundation by the teaching of God's Word. Does that make sense? Now, again, it's important. It's a hierarchy. Apostles, prophets, we can, we can set those aside. But he was telling them, listen, if you're desiring spiritual gifts in order of importance, it's apostleship, prophets, and then teaching. Now, we can break it down to this saying, what is the most important gift that is out there in the church today? Teaching the Word of God. Now, we just went over and said every single gift is important, right? Every single one of them. But we have to have teaching in order to understand what the Bible says. Are y'all with me? All right, clear as mud, or are we good? All right, so understanding that, and he says, listen, he says, this is what I want you to desire. Now, understand this. It is not that, that when he is speaking, he's speaking to the church. He is not saying that a person should say, I desire to be a teacher. That's not what he is saying. He says, what you need to desire as a church is that God gifts you with those who are able to teach the Word of God correctly. Because again, I don't decide who or what teaches. You don't decide who or what has gifts. God is the one who tempers. God is the one who sets in place those He wants with the gifts they have, right? But can I tell you something? That we as a church should be like the, the, the Corinthian church and we ought to pray, say, God, give us solid biblical teaching 
for all those who teach. And that should be the thing that we desire more than anything else. And notice, then he just lists out everything else. And said, now, let me set the stage a little further. Here was the issue. The Corinthian church, they wanted all the showy gifts. Man, I, I want to walk up and slap a dude on the head and he falls over. Right? I, I want to speak in tongues so that, so that people see that. I want to prophesy so people see that. I want to interpret so people see that. Paul just says, of all of these things, desire the greater gifts, and the greater gifts are the one he has listed in hierarchy. Now, I told you earlier, sometimes you will hear this, be baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Never says that in the Bible. Paul just answers the question right here. Do all speak in tongues? No. Are all apostles? No. Do all interpret? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all do healings? No. Now I will tell you, when I get to chapter 14, we'll, we'll, I'll tell you where that comes from. And it's a sign to the Jews, unbelieving Jews in particular. Paul lays that out very clearly. And I'll show you where the history came from, going all the way back to 1901 when that movement began, to where we're at today. So, but that's for another day. That'll bait you back in, all right? That's the clickbait. All right. But I want you to note this because it sets the stage, and we'll close right here. It sets the stage for next week. He says, for all of these gifts, wanting all of these gifts, he says, covet earnestly, desire earnestly the best gifts. And we could just narrow that down to teaching. But then note what he says here. And yet, I show you a more excellent way, which he is prepping us for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we know that 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. And basically, he's going to go on and say, I don't care if you give everything you have to the poor and burn your body. If you don't have love, it accomplishes nothing. And we'll break that out next week. All right. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for a time in your word this morning. We thank you that you are the gracious I am. Lord, we pray that you would do what you're only able to do in the hearts and lives of men and women, Lord. That you take your word, that you speak to hearts. You accomplish what you desire. If it's conviction, I pray you bring conviction. If it's comfort, comfort, whatever needs to be done. God, will give you the praise and glory for it right now. And just, I would say this, folks, just I want to hearken back to one thing is, is your head's still bowed. Just be praying. If you're a Christian, just be praying. You're either baptized into Christ or you're baptized with fire, one of the two. And that decision has got to come to where you make a decision to follow Christ. And if you don't know how to follow Christ, I would urge you to come see one of us and we will sit down with the Bible and tell you what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not a profession, a one-time profession. It is something that is a daily calling and a daily walk with Him. And we would love to tell you how to do that. Father, again, we thank you and we pray, God, that you do your work in Jesus' name. If you want to come to the altar to pray, the altar is open. Uh, if you want to come up and pray with one of us, uh, there are deacons and myself. 
uh, some women around, but uh, feel free to come to the altar. Tom, as you come and lead us.